0: All right, kiddos, you guys can come on down here, three-year-olds, all the way through kindergarten. If you've got a Bible, while they're coming down here, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. All right? <laughs> Exodus chapter 20. Um, just wanted, and if, if we could, I thought last week when Nick was here, he did something that was a good idea that, that I think we need to do a better job of. So if you would, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning in Exodus chapter 20. Um, since it's been a week, I'm just going to read all the way through verse 13, okay? This is what God's Word says. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying... Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. You shall not murder. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that this text today, that we would feel the enormity of verse 13, Um, and that this week, that, that, that each and every one of us in here would see where we are so guilty of this. Um, And that, Father, the the weight of what you're commanding us, uh, it it should be heavy on all of us when we leave here today. Above all, we pray that we see Jesus through this text and we see what Jesus did for murderers like each and every one of us. And it's in your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So just by uh, way of review, the first commandment is there is one God and we worship him alone. The second commandment is that since there's one God, we worship that God correctly. So we don't fashion or form any images that we can worship that God through. The third commandment is since there's one God and he wants to be worshipped correctly, then we do not take his name in vain. We don't take his name in a flippant manner. We, we reverently show respect to the name of God. The fourth commandment is one day out of seven we should rest Refocus and remember the gospel. The fifth commandment is we're to honor our parents. And if you remember what we said a couple weeks ago, we explained that this commandment was the bridge between the two tables of commandments, right? That the fifth commandment was there to show that, that if we can honor our parents, if we can show honor where honor is due in the home, which is the hardest place to show honor, then that honor will flow out to all of society so the first four about our vertical relationship with God the fifth one bridges the gap and now starting in the last uh five commandments we're going to talk about our horizontal relationship with other people right and it's kind of cool how God laid that out because what did Jesus say what's the greatest commandment right to love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul your mind and strength right your vertical relationship and then in turn love our neighbor as ourself all right Now, in 2015, March, to be precise, Mariah and I became part of of the special needs community. Uh, And it's an amazing community. It's made up of amazing people, people that that are heroes, people uh, that fight every single day of their lives. But one of the things that I learned quickly about the special needs community, though, is this, is that it has a very liberal bent to it. The majority of people in that community lean that way. And about two months ago or whatever it was, when Justice Ginsburg passed away, that became very, very apparent in that community, how uh, they mourned her passing. And listen, Ginsburg wrote the majority opinion on something that's called the Olmstead Act. I would encourage you to look it up. It's probably the greatest single piece of legislation that was written for special needs uh, people. Uh, and she should be applauded and commended for the way that she protected those kinds of people, right? People in the special needs community. But on the other end of that spectrum, Justice Ginsburg was also a staunch advocate for abortion. Planned Parenthood lauded Justice Ginsburg at her passing. They pointed to her steadfast support of abortion rights, including her opposition to the Partial Birth Abortion Act. Now, if you don't know what that is, partial birth abortion is a procedure where a baby either at or near full term is partially delivered and aborted at the last minute so that they can call it abortion and not murder. Al Mohler, speaking on her death, said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg reigned as one of the most effective defenders of abortion. She made clear throughout her career that women had a right to an abortion under any and all circumstances. And here's where I struggle with it, because one of those circumstances is when a child is diagnosed in the womb with special needs. In 2017, Iceland claimed that they had eliminated Down syndrome from their country completely. I don't know if any of you remember this story. Uh, The news media just applauded them for what they were able to do uh, in ridding Down syndrome from their country. Well, as you begin to study and you begin to look to see what was happening, is that 100% of children diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb in Iceland were aborted. And see, a lot of the reason that we have genetic testing whenever you get ready to have a baby, right, is for purposes of abortion. Now, I'm not saying there's not legit reasons to have genetic testing. You get somebody like my family who already had one child with special needs and you're having another one, yeah, you might have reason to genetically test the baby, but still, if you're a believer, what's it gonna change if that child has special needs or not, right? But one of the biggest reasons is for that purpose. Mark Sherad, an assistant professor of political science at Villanova University, described what he and his wife faced when waiting to hear if their daughter would be born with Down syndrome. And he said, and I quote, hammering home the momentous difficulties that would await us as parents was clearly a tactical move by the doctor to push us toward an abortion. See, my point is is that it's really hard for me to applaud a woman who did so much for a special needs community when, on the other hand, she's killed far more of them than she's helped. It's murder. It's murder to kill children who are made in the image of God. Now, it's very easy for us to nod our heads and say, that's right, because I think every one of you would agree with me on that. We're pro-life. We should be. We've never committed murder, but I I think as we continue to look at this, that we're going to see that there's a whole lot more to this commandment, though, than what we realize. So if you will, look with me again in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 13, it's it's very simple. It says, you shall not murder. Now in the original Hebrew, that command is just no murder. That's it. God says, no murder. And there's been a lot of debate over verse 13. Not the first part, not the no part, but the second part, the, the murder part. So does that word mean kill, right? Thou shall not kill, if you have a King James Bible, uh, or murder? What's the proper word? Well, the Hebrew word is ratzak, which that word is used in the Bible to to, to talk about um, uh, killing, but it's never used in a legal or a military context in the Bible. So if ever there was like a capital punishment case, that word's not used. Uh, If anybody's going to war and they're killing other combatants, that word is not used, and again, the King James, it's a good translation, okay, easy if you if you loved it, okay. I'm not bad mouthing it. But it is a little imprecise here when it says kill. See what the commandment means is not killing, but unlawful killing, which we would call murder. And what is at the core of this commandment in verse 13 is the understanding, is understanding the value of human life and a commitment as believers in the true God to preserve and to protect human life, period. The commandment not to murder is actually first given as Noah gets off the ark. Right? In Genesis chapter nine, verses five and six, God says this, and it says, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it and from man From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So God says, hey, you take a life, you pay with your life. There's nothing on earth that you could use to pay for life, right? So if God said, hey, if you take a life, then you're gonna get fined $10 million, that would be putting a price on life. He didn't say that. He says the only thing that equals life is life. And the reason why is given right there in verse six. What does he say? That God made us human beings in his own image. The Bible calls this the Imago Dei, that we all have the image of God. We bear that. And what that means is just that we reflect certain parts of God. To to some extent, all of creation reflects parts of God, right? From waterfalls to sunsets, galaxies, even animals to, to a small extent. But there's something special in the way that human beings represent God. So if you think about it, a mirror represents an image better than water. Water represents an image better than a rock, So when it comes to creation, you and I, as image bearers of God, we are mirrors that reflect God more clearly than anything else on earth. That's what it means. So when you and I think of men and women as anything less than the image of God, we are devaluing life. See, one of Satan's primary tasks is to get you and I, to get human beings, to devalue life. In John chapter eight, verse 44, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And look what he says about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we devalue life, we're murderers right along with Satan. Now the problem that we have in this society today, and, and, and tell me if you see this, is that we want to try to celebrate and preserve life, right? We love it. You can get on TV, you can watch all kinds of stories, and, and we love stories of perseverance and, and how uh, humans can just thrive and persevere through anything. Like We want to value and celebrate life. But then, on the other hand, we're trying to show that there's nothing special at all about life. In an article in The Atlantic entitled, Legal Abortion Isn't the Problem to Be Solved, the authors say this, right? Listen. Rather, what needs to be challenged is the notion that a physical or developmental disability is a tragedy. To reassure parents that they can, in fact, raise children with significant impairments, American society must do more to emphasize that disability is a normal part of human diversity. It must provide more cultural, social, and emotional support for the families that experience it. Okay? So notice that. Let's value that life. Let's help these people out. Let's say, hey, this is all part of diversity, and we should applaud uh, people that have special needs, and we should love them and care for them, right? Six paragraphs later, let's start by realizing that disability and reproductive rights can be mutually informative, For a woman to have a genuine choice about whether to carry a pregnancy to term, her access to safe and legal abortion must be coupled with the freedom to continue her pregnancy without fear of ruining her career, finances, or health. Here we go. In our society, the physical and emotional costs of raising a disabled child far exceed those of bringing up able-bodied children. So let's value them. Six paragraphs later, though, let's kill them. Because after all, I mean, it's really hard to raise a kid like that. I mean, who would want to do something like that and just set your whole life back, right? See the problem we have? Human beings are made in the image of God. And so because of that, the Bible says all of life is precious, and we should value that. Now, before we talk about what murder is, okay, because I want to get specific, I just want to very quickly look at what murder is not. Because I know some people are going to be like, well, what about this? Or what about this? Okay, let me, let's just look at it very quickly. What murder is not is self-defense. Self-defense. Exodus chapter 22, verse 2. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. So you can, and you should, defend your family and your home if it comes down to it. We have men in our church that are watching the doors, they're patrolling the building. In case something like that happens, we are ready to protect and defend. And so in those instances of self-defense, the Bible says that's not murder, it says that is okay. So self-defense is not murder. The second one is lethal force or capital punishment. Romans chapter 13, verses one through four says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So there will be times that law enforcement must use force. There will come times when very bad men are put to death because of their crimes, and the scripture is clear that God allows that. And listen, I'm not going to open up a can of worms on the criminal justice system, okay? Don't be, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. okay, that's not the time or place for this sermon, okay? I'm simply saying that the Old and the New Testament will give the government the right to justly punish. And if they do so in a way that they misuse that authority, God will take care of them. That will be sorted out, okay? So either force or capital punishment is not murder. And finally, the third one, it's just war. So so we just read Romans 13, and, and that authorizes a government to go to war if they need to. And many wars are not just, but some wars are necessary to protect innocent life. And so, if that war is conducted for that reason, the Bible would not label the actions of a soldier or a country as murder, okay? And so, a lot of times when you have uh, Christian nations or countries like ours, before they go to war, they will ask themselves some of these questions. They'll ask this question, is the war being waged by a legitimate government, okay? Okay? So, so is this government legit, or is it some sort of guerrilla government? Is this war being waged for a worthy cause? Right? Are we going in to protect life, or are we going in to get rich? Are we going to go in with force that's proportional to the attack? So one country kills three people, and you go in and drop a nuke on them, that may not be proportional to the attack, right? There's probably uh, another way that we need to go about that. And finally, they'll ask themselves, are they going in against men who are soldiers, not civilians, okay? So the Bible says all three of those, right? Self-defense, uh, 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 sorry, lethal force, capital punishment, right? Those are one, in uh, just wars. Those things, if used in the proper context, are not murder, okay? So we can kind of move those out of the way. So what is murder then? What is it? It's murder, okay? It's taking someone's life. We murder because we value something on earth more than we value the lives of others. So most of the time when a murder occurs, it occurs because of greed. They have something you want, and so you kill them. Or jealousy, you're, you're jealous of what they have or who they are, and so you kill them. You do it out of fear. Uh, you do it out of revenge, right? You, you get back or you hire somebody. Uh, there was a pastor recently who come to find out he had hired a hitman to take out several people in his church. I mean, I get it. Not saying it's right. That's a joke, as a joke, right? But it was revenge. He he was done. That is what murder is, okay? So murder is murder. It's killing somebody for one of those reasons. The other example is abortion. We've already said it, but I'll say it again. Abortion is murder. Killing the unborn is murder. From 1973 to 2018, there were 61.8 million abortions performed in the US. That's 168 abortions per 1,000 lives. In 2017, there were 2,362 abortions per day. 98 an hour and one every 96 seconds. That's murder. That's murder. And don't give me the whole, well, it's women's empowerment deal, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's kill women to empower women. Because half of those abortions were other women abortion is murder okay and so that's the the physical side of murder it's killing it's murder it's abortion and i think every one of us again we can nod our heads at this point and go amen yes preach on let's go by and let's go home i don't want to go any further i don't either but we've got to look at the other side of this because i think if you'll listen and if you're like me this week you're going to find out that you violate this command a lot more than you realize you do in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell, uh, to the hell of fire. So remember, Jesus and the apostles never did away with any of the Ten Commandments. In fact, Jesus took every one of them and said, yeah, you've heard it said, but let me take it a step further to show you what the heart really says. And Jesus says, yeah, I get it. Most of you have never physically killed anyone, but he says having anger towards them is the exact same thing. So he's saying God looks at the heart. And you may have never acted on your desires, but hear me. Jesus says your desires are really what matter. JD Greer says your desires are the real you. If you desire one thing but force yourself to do another, then what you want is really who you are. So let's just look at these four things, right? Four ways that you know or you can see that you're guilty of murder. The first one is this is when you desire someone's harm. You're guilty of murder. So if you got a list of people in your head that you just kind of wish they would disappear <laughs> or get out of your life, right? Every one of us. Jesus says that's murder. When you desire to see someone humiliated, that's murder. When, when you desire to see them fall on their face in front of the whole community, that's, that's murder. When you gossip and slander with your best friends, All of us. It's murder. Do you act out scenarios in your head where you get in a fight and then later on you replay it? I'm the world's worst at this, right? I'll have an argument because I'm not real smart. I can't think on my feet very good. And then later on, I'll be like, oh, shit, this, right? And then I replay the argument to where, like, this time I have this really witty put down or this comeback. And all of a sudden, like, I'm making them humiliated and embarrassed because I just dazzled them with my brilliance, right? I walk away, light a cigarette, and put my, my sunglasses on. Yeah, that's exactly right. And usually if you ever catch me talking to myself or if my family does, it's because I'm replaying that in my head. My kids will go, what daddy? Nothing, nothing. It's murder. Because I'm angry at that person and so I'm replaying that again, trying to find a way that I can take them out. And if all of us would just look at our lives right now, we could say that man, there's just been a whole lot of killing going on in this town because we've all done this this week. Even in this church, it's happened. It's murder. Second one. Thinking of people as anything less than God's special image that they are. Thinking of people as anything less than God's special image that they are is a type of murder. So Jesus says when you call someone a fool, you're guilty of murder. So when we insult someone or we call them a derogatory name, we do not recognize them as the image of God. We devalue that. Remember, that's, that's our definition. That's devaluing life. When you're seeing them as less than, you're devaluing life. And here's what we do is that we do this primarily with groups, so we see a group that we don't like, and rather than, than, we see groups that we don't like rather than individuals that are made in the image of God. Okay? We see groups that we don't like rather than individuals that are made in the image of God. And so we'll say horrific things about certain ethnic groups, whether it's black people or brown people. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Well, he's a good Mexican. So he's implying that that one's good, while the rest of them over here are just somewhat bad. So this one's good, these ones are bad. That's murder. Listen, I've heard stories of people who use the N word in front of their black friends, and when their black friend calls them out on it, they go, oh, I'm not talking about you. Oh, so I'm one of the good ones, while the rest of them, they're bad. Even white people do it with other white people, right? You got good, respectable white folk, and we got them earthy white trash on the other side of town. I got a buddy who lives in a town, 99% Anglo. He'll tell you the same thing. He's like, it doesn't matter. He goes, there's still all the division. He goes, the highway runs right through town, and if you're on that side of town, you're white trash. If you're on this side of town, you're good, respectable white folk. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. See, listen, when we, all of us, we, devalue groups made in the image of God, we're guilty of murder. See, those groups of people we devalue have the same wants, hurts, needs that we have. They love their kids just like we do. They are loved by their kids, just like we are. They feel pain and loneliness, just like we do, and their lives are every bit as precious as ours. I'm gonna give you a great example of this that happened at our church. So back in April, when we all just decided, you know, to shoot ourselves in the foot and shut the economy down, one of the first things that we did was we talked about how if we could keep our secondary staff going up here that we were going to do it because we needed to love these women. We needed to care for these women. We needed to help them keep food on the table. And someone in this church was real brave, and they decided to write me an anonymous letter, angry that we would keep those two women employed, And I still can't figure it out because in my mind I was like, what was it about these two precious women? They are precious women. They're made in the image of God. They have a right to work. They have a right to put their kids through school just like we do. We had the means to keep them employed, and so we did it. And I'll tell you what the heart of the letter was. You want to know what the heart of the letter was? How dare you keep those two Mexicans working Well, two good white while white folk are out of work. That was the heart of the letter. See, when we think of people as statistics or in categories, we are guilty of murder. Number three is when we turn away from the sufferings of the poor while living in luxury. It's murder. In James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, this is what James says. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. See, when we see people that are in need and we turn a deaf ear to it while piling up stuff of our own, the Bible says we're guilty of of murder. Now listen, we're not saying you can't have stuff. Immediately everybody's like, you know, it's not what nobody's saying that at all. Nobody's saying when we see a need and we don't address it as Christians, that's murder, okay? And again, I know people are already going, well, I didn't do anything for to them. They, you know, they're responsible for the mess that they're in. Well, they need to make better choices. Okay, I agree. That there is such a thing as unrighteous poor, as those who make bad decisions to get themselves where they're at. But there is also a thing as righteous poor. Those who uh, are poor because of situations and circumstances beyond their control. We have them all over the world. We have them right here in Spearman, Texas. Okay? Like like right now, we've got this great opportunity with this mission project that Joe's been able to to kind of secure for us to to be able to help the Native American population to get them through the winter. What a great opportunity. We feed meals to these kids on Wednesday nights, and, and I don't know how many of you realize, but those are big for some of these kids. They really are. Right on Wednesday night, a lot of them get three meals. They get two at school in one year. That's a big deal for some kids, right? Because they they need those things. At the heart of this means that we are our brother's keeper. The commandment is about the preciousness of human life. And so James is saying the rich considered their convenience to be more important than the lives of the poor. And so that as believers, we should always be on the lookout to where we can sacrificially give to help others. And finally, the last one is this, number four. Not sharing the gospel with those around you is a type of murder. Not sharing the gospel is a type of murder. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verses six through eight, says this, it says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. See, God's comparing Ezekiel to a watchman, and he's saying, hey, the watchman is is standing on his tower, and he's, he's watching, and he sees the army come to kill the city, and instead of saying anything, he just is quiet about it. And God says, if he does that, then I will require his life from him. That's what he's getting at. So what that means for you and I is that we're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus, and you say or do nothing, their blood is on your hands. And let that sink in. We are held Responsible. And so if we really believe the gospel, how do we reconcile that with the way that we live? Listen, myself included. I mean, like, how little urgency do we have someday to take the gospel to other people? We have very little. I mean, how little urgency do we have for missions? How little we sacrificially give. How we care to claim about the kid's spiritual condition in our community, but yet we do little to encourage or support the work of youth ministry, even in our own church. And listen, not trying to beat anyone up. I am preaching to the choir here. But what I want each and every one of us to understand is that human life is precious. God loves human beings who are made in his image, and he calls you and I to do the same thing. You see how difficult this commandment is? Kind of roped you in there at the first, didn't I? You're like, oh yeah, yeah, get him, Byron. Well... I know that I do all of these things. And I know many of us do too. So what do we do then? Because if I just stopped here and prayed, we're going to walk out of here with no hope at all. We're going to walk out of here going, man, I am a terrible human being. Well, you are. So what do we do? We look to Jesus. That's what we do. We look to Jesus. Jesus is the only one whoever fully obeyed this commandment. But even though he was perfect, he was executed. The murdered Christ, murdered for murderous men, women, boys and girls just like us. The one who broke the commandment, bearing its penalty, or who never broke the commandment, bearing its penalty for all of us who have. See, look to Jesus bleeding and dying amidst the insults of the crowds who crucified him. We sang about it. Hear your own voice crying out among the scoffers. Pilate washing his hands of him. The religious leaders lying in wait to murder him. The whole world being covered in darkness as the son of God, the giver of life, is murdered at the hands of the people he loved and came to save. People who were created in his own image. And what does he do as he dies? Father, forgive him. They don't know what they do. Forgive them. See, listen, you and I need Jesus. There is mercy for murderers found at the foot of the cross. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what is in your background. There is mercy for murderers found at the foot of the cross. And so maybe you don't know Jesus today, and maybe today, as the gospel's been preached, you see for the first time that Jesus was murdered for your sins so that you could stand before God as if you never sinned at all. Right? It's a three weeks, right? And so your kids bring home those progress reports. And I love when they do that because to me, you know, you can look at those grades and be like, I don't know about that, right? And I always think about when I would bring those home and they'd all be like Ds and Fs, Right? And how I just so desperately wish for somebody in the class to walk up to the teacher and be like, hey, no, 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 take my grades instead, right? Straight A student, take take my grades instead. That's what Jesus does for us. We've got a report card full of Fs to stand and hold before God the Father, but Jesus steps in and says, nah, don't take that, take this one instead. And believers, as I call you to do every week, take your eyes off yourself. Set them on Jesus. Set them on Jesus who obeyed for you. See, when you look to Jesus, the Son of God murdered for you, the Son of God murdered for those who bear his image, here's what happens. You realize that you were rescued and your heart changes. Not your behavior, your heart. So instead of having a heart that wants to use people, a heart that wants to take from people, that wants to exploit people, you'll find that you want to love serve and forgive them the way that Jesus loved, served, and forgave you. You will then live for others and value human life as Jesus valued yours. So if you would, please pray with me this morning. Father, I I thank you so much for this day and I thank you for all that you've given us. Father, I pray that now as we stand to sing and that we sing about how deep Your love is that, Father, we would all with one voice sing at the top of our lungs this morning because there's not a single one of us today that can walk out of here with our heads held high and beating our chest saying, I've kept this commandment. We've all broken it. We've all violated it. And, Father, we're all condemned. But Jesus Christ stepped in. He stepped in and he kept this commandment for us. He was murdered for murderous men and women and boys and girls just like us. He laid down his life for those that would kill him. And because of what he's done, Father, instead of handing you a report card full of Fs, Jesus knocks it out of our hand and he gives us his report card instead. So I pray that we would stand today and that we would worship Jesus. Father, for those in the room that are maybe just struggling with immense guilt over maybe something I said today, whether that's about uh, just the the treatment of of another human being, maybe maybe because of, of an abortion or something in the past, that, Father, today they would just feel your love and your forgiveness and your grace towards them and that they would not leave here with their heads down but with their head up saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done to save a wretch like me. Thank you, Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand.